in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's dive right into this. You all know where we are. I know, you're like, we're sitting in church here at Evident Life. No, we are in the middle. We're getting closer to the end of our Mission 27 journey, which is our journey through 27 books of the New Testament. Today, we're going to check out Peter's second letter, the second letter that Peter wrote. It's his farewell speech just before he was executed by Nero in Rome. Remember, we talked about that. That's what was going on at the time that he wrote his first letter, all kinds of persecution breaking out. The Christians were the scapegoat for all the bad stuff going on in the world. That kind of sounds familiar, you know? I mean, isn't it like all the Christians' fault? Aren't we the horrible people in our, in our culture today? Yeah, well, anyway. So that's what was going on, and Peter actually was martyred there in Rome by Nero. But before that, he wrote this final letter to the church. First Peter, his first letter focused on the pressures that were coming from outside the church, the persecutions from the world. Second Peter focuses on the pressures from inside the church. And so here's the question, which pressure is more dangerous? Which pressure is more dangerous, the pressure from outside the church? I mean, that would seem like it's a lot more dangerous to the church. And to the kingdom of God. I mean, after all, that's, that's where people are experiencing physical pain and even death. But surprisingly, it's the pressure from inside the church that's the most damaging and the most dangerous. It's the pressures. It's the falling apart. It's the sickness that's happening inside the body of Christ that causes the most damage to the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Look, historically, the church grows as a result of external persecution. It grows, man. It gets stronger. But the church shrinks when it gets sick on the inside. So again, back in the day, the first century church was persecuted. We just talked about that again last week. And what happened? What was the result? The church grew. The church got stronger. The body of Christ got more effective in the broken world that they were living in. I mean, you look at, at, at what's going on today. Where is the church growing and getting stronger? It's in those places where the church is being persecuted the most. Look at China. The church in China right now is actually growing and getting stronger in the midst of communist persecution. All right, I'm going to take this opportunity and just talk about something here. Communism, socialism, progressivism, all the same thing. They all come from something called Marxism. They all come from Marx and his ideology and his worldview, which is full-out anti-Christ, anti-God. In fact, this is what Marx says, quote, The idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. It must be destroyed. In other words, if people are going to trust the state, then they can't trust God. If people are going to follow government, then we got to get God out of the way. And I'm just saying, that's going on. If you, if you look around the world today and you look at communism, is God welcome in communist countries? No. God gets in the way, and so he must be removed. What is happening in socialist countries? I'm just, I want to talk about this just a little bit. We'll get right back to 2 Peter here in just a little bit. What's happening in socialist countries? Look at those countries that have gone socialistic. A lot of them are in Europe. 
The church is essentially dead in Europe, and nobody wants to hear anything about God. It's all about the state. It's all about how government can fix the problem. I'm just saying. But the church is thriving in some of those areas where the most persecution is happening. Does that mean we should want persecution, that we should want it in our country so the church will finally wake up? No. I'd say, come on, let's wake up first. You know, Scripture says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And you know what? If you don't humble yourself before the Lord, he'll do a really good, thorough job of humbling you. It's going to happen one way or the other. We will be humbled. We can humble ourselves now. We can stop the madness. We can bend our knee to the lordship of Christ Jesus, and we can exalt him and be his ambassadors in our world today and turn from our evil ways. Or we can continue to be silent and run down this crazy, worldly, antichrist road that we've been running down, and we will be humbled. But God will do the humbling. That would be uncomfortable. That's all I'm saying. So persecution from the outside ultimately strengthens the church. But places where the church is sick on the inside, those places, that, that's where the church is imploding. That's where the church is powerless, ineffective, it's useless, it's shrinking, and in many cases, the church is dead. Churches that are sick on the inside. And we need to be ready for persecution on the outside. It may be coming even to us at some point. But for decades, I've been watching and witnessing, and all of us have, a church that's been getting sicker and sicker on the inside. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want to tell you this. Before, I, before you hear me, and it's like all doom and gloom and the church is horrible. Listen, I, just, I, I, I watched a couple videos from a couple local pastors this past week on YouTube. And it encouraged the, the heaven out of me. I mean, I got excited. I'm like, yeah, my brother's in the Lord, man. They're bringing it. They're not backing down. They're speaking truth in the middle of a crazy, messed up world. So don't, don't fall for this thing either that, oh, we're so messed up and so far gone and, 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 and the body of Christ is so broken and, and no pastor cares. That's not true. It's not true. So 2 Peter, it's going to talk about a church that was beginning to experience some internal hemorrhaging and decay. And that was the result of compromise in the church, compromise in the leadership of the church, and it was also the result of bad theology. What we believe matters, y'all. Good theology is good, bad theology is bad. Let's keep it that simple, because that's how simple it is. Good, good produces good, bad produces bad. And that's the case in, in what we believe. Paul launches his second letter with this amazing truth. Now, Strap on, get ready, get, get set, because this is some of the most exciting truth that you're going to hear this week. It is. I'm going to tell you right now. Check this out. Peter says this. Listen to these words. He says, his divine power, he's speaking of Jesus, Jesus's divine power, his divine power has given us. Now he's talking to us, the body of Christ, Peter, a brother in the Lord. He's talking to you and me. If we're redeemed in Christ, if we're new creations in Christ, this, is, this statement is about you and me and us, the church. And, and, and Peter says this. He says that Jesus' divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, I learned this passage this way from my older version uh, of the NIV. 
that, that, that God's divine power has given us all we need for life and godliness. God's divine power has given us everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse four, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. We're, we get the promises of God now because we've been grafted in through Christ Jesus into the family of God, right? And so we've been give, he's given us his very great and precious promises. Why? So that through them, you, us, the body of Christ, believers may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, come on. That introduction to 2 Peter should blow your mind, like blow it up, and, and it should get you excited. It should cause you to like to want to stand up and maybe just say, amen. I mean, seriously, amen. We were just reminded by the rock, by Peter, the rock. We were just reminded by that apostle who was with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, we were just told and reminded that God has given us, because of Christ's great power, he's given us everything we need to live the Christian life, to live for the Lord now. Everything we need. He's withheld nothing from you and nothing from me. We got it all. We lack nothing. We lack nothing. We don't need to settle. That's what that means. We don't need to settle. We don't need to be ineffective and powerless. We're the people of God who have been given it all. Everything we need for living for Jesus in a broken and crazy messed up world. We got it all. All we need for life and godliness. But then Peter went on, didn't he? Right there in verse 4. And what did he say in verse 4? He takes it to a whole nother level. And he says that Jesus has invited his followers to partake in his divine nature. Boom. I mean, that's how changed we are in Christ. That's how powerful God's grace is in our lives. Look, you're no longer the same. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old, powerless, ineffective, messed up, dirty, rotten scoundrel is dead. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And when Christ's blood makes us new, I mean, it's through and through. I mean, it's for real, okay? This is no joke. It's no just like putting a Band-Aid on our lives and putting us back out there and going, oh, we got them all fixed up. Here you go. Good luck storming the castle. No, whatever. That's a, anyway, Princess Bride comment. Anyway, um, be careful, little eyes, what you watch, because it'll come out in the middle of a sermon. Anyway, um, so we lack nothing. And in fact, Jesus is inviting us to partake in his divine nature. Is this how you approach every day of your life? Do you wake up every day? Do your feet hit the, hit the floor and go, I've got all I need for life and godliness today. I lack nothing. I am rich in Christ Jesus. I got it all. 
So I'm not going to be ineffective today. I'm going to bring the kingdom of God today. I'm going to pray for somebody today in faith. And who knows what's going to happen. I'm going to bring up the name of Jesus when people are all freaking out out there in the world. I'm going to bring up the name of Jesus. I'm going to see what happens. Is this how we live? Do we live in this reality? And Peter wants to start this whole letter out where he's going to spank him a little bit and says, y'all are getting some bad theology and you better straighten it up really quick. And he, and he just wants to start it off by reminding them who they are and what they have in Christ Jesus. And some of y'all need to be reminded right now who you are and what you have in Christ Jesus because it's awesome. It's awesome. But I don't feel like it. It's not about what you feel like. That's what Peter's saying. This is the reality. This is reality. There was, a, there was a sheep ranch that was owned by a man named Mr. Yates. Um, and Mr. Yates was not a wealthy man. He didn't have a lot of money. He couldn't even make ends meet. He couldn't pay his mortgage payments. He couldn't keep the utilities on often. It was a rough time. He was having a rough go at it as a sheep rancher. He was about to lose his ranch. He couldn't even put clothes on his kid. He, he had troubles feeding his, his children, his family. Um, he had to live on government subsidies often. Um, but then something happened one day. There they are in West Texas, and this, this seismographic crew from this oil company shows up and knocks on his door. And they tell him, that they said, there's this stuff called oil that might be like underground on your land. And can we write a contract with you so that we can, we can do a wildcat well and see if, if we strike oil and then we can participate in the profits of what might come from that. And, and so Mr. Yates signed the contract with them. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. It began to pump 80,000 barrels a day. And some of the days were double that in volume. 30 years after that, 30 years later, after that discovery, a government test was done on the wells, and it said that these wells can still produce 125,000 barrels a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. He owned it all. The day he purchased that land, he'd received the oil and the mineral rights to that land. Yet, he was living as a poor man. He didn't realize what he actually had. He didn't know the oil was there, even though he owned it. And I tell that story because I think a lot of Christians are like that. We don't know what we have. We don't understand what we have. I mean, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The living God is living in us. God's grace that brings salvation is, is changing us and transforming us and empowering us. And we have all we need. We lack nothing. You think Mr. Yates has a lot? We got way more than Mr. Yates ever dreamed of having. But we got to know it and we got to grow in it. So after that long introduction, I'm finally to point one in my notes. <laughs> Don't stress out. It's all good. Point one, never stop growing. I'm going to be talking about Christian forward momentum, the importance of forward momentum in Christian living. Actually, Peter does. I'm just, I'm just saying what Peter says here. And here we are in 1 Peter 1.5. It says, for this very reason, because you have all you need in Christ Jesus... 
because you've been invited to partake in, in, in his divine nature. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith. What? Effort? Christianity effort? What? Yeah, hang on here. It's, it's all good. Because remember, you got all, God's already given you what you need. Make every effort to add to your faith. Add goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And self-control, add perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And mutual affection, add love. For if you possess these qualities, listen to this, in increasing measure, very important, if you, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter's message is, come on, y'all got everything you need, but you got to use it and you got to keep growing in it. You got to keep growing in it. I'm going to tell you what, too many Christians have been sold a bill of goods. You know, how many of you know that you pick up stuff through life, right? You pick up messages, you pick up sermons, you pick up teachings, you pick up things that you then believe and that become part of your belief system, part of your worldview, part of who you believe God is and who you are in Christ Jesus. It happens to all of us. I'm, I'm in a process right now where I'm trying to really just say, does God's word say that for real? I mean, or is that just something I picked up? You know, there's a lot of stuff you can pick up. I watch people who follow their dogs around and they pick up stuff. There's a lot of stuff you don't want to pick up. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a dog. That just grosses me out, y'all. I'm just saying. That just is. It just does. But that's another thing. Too many Christians have been sold a bill of goods. They've been told that following Jesus doesn't have any requirements. That nothing we do matters. That's so wrong. You haven't read your Bible. You haven't read the word of God. Just like Mr. Yates, we have to drill. We got to drill, man. We got to dig. We got to work the, the, the land of our lives, of our spiritual lives. We got we to find the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. Not just say a prayer, check a box, put on a Jesus mask and say, I'm all good. I got the ticket. That's not Christianity. That's not the Bible. Not at all. Now, look, we understand this. Works, meaning our actions, they don't save us and they don't keep us saved. Nothing you did saved you. Zippo, zero. Nothing you did. You didn't add an ounce to your salvation. And nothing you do can keep you saved. Now, you got to understand that. you got to know that through and through, that it's all the work of Christ Jesus. Only what he has done. And we just remember that in communion together. His body broken. His blood spilled. The Lamb of God was slain. He saved you. And he keeps you saved. Amen. Only Christ Jesus. But the Bible is full of exhortations for us to do things. There's a difference between our salvation and our lives in Christ. You know what I'm saying there? 
There's a difference. We got to, I'm just thinking about it, get a little illustration here. So um, one, of, one of Ben's best friends is living with us. He wanted to, to live in the house with us, right? And, and so I kind of joke, but in some way it's a little bit true. He's kind of like almost an adopted son in some way. He's got a great family and awesome mom and dad and all that, and they live, but they live way out in Queen Creek, you know what I'm saying? And so he needs to be closer to Jesus, so he's in the Gilbert area. And so anyway, so uh, I love you all, Queen Creek. And... Um, and so um, part of him coming into our family, even in this way, part of him coming into our family is that he's got a few chores he's going to do. He's got some things to do. Now, that, the things he does doesn't get him entrance in or keep him in, but it's just part of being part of our family, part of being part of who we are. Look, nothing you do gets you into the family of God. It's the, it's the work of Christ Jesus that caused you to be an enemy, to being a friend, caused you from being, you know, uh, outside to being now a child of God. But once we're children of God and we're in the family of God, there's just ways, things we do as members of God's family. And the Bible talks about that everywhere. And if we ignore these biblical calls to do and to be, to take action and to talk and to walk and to to, to to be the people of God, if we, if, we, if we ignore those things, there are consequences. Peter says, so make every effort to add to your faith. And then he says, and whoever does not have them, in other words, doesn't do these things and add these things and actually walk in the things of Christ Jesus, that they're nearsighted blind, forgetting that they've even been cleansed from their past sin. Do you even, in other words, if you're not walking in these new things and, and doing these things and adding these things and growing in these things, do you really know what happened? Do you really know what Christ has done for you? Have you really gone from outside and in to the family of God? The Christian life is not stagnant. It's not a one-and-done transaction, and we never stop growing. We're a people of action. We're a people who have spiritual Momentum, not that we whoop up, not that we create, but it's just there because we are walking in who we are now in Christ Jesus. And because he's given us all we need for life and godliness. Verse 10 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Make every effort. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So y'all hear, hear the message here, right? Nothing you did got you saved. Nothing you do keeps you saved. But because we are saved, because we are now children of God, there are things children of God do. There are things my children do just because they're my children. And there are things God's children do because they are God's children. And we do it now, not in our old strength or our own strength. We do it in his strength because he has given us all we need for life and godliness. If you aren't moving forward in your faith, you're falling backwards. I'm going to say it again. If you're not moving forward in your faith, you're falling backwards. There's no middle ground. There's no eternal holding pattern for, for believers. 
It's not like you get saved and you just go in this little holding pattern waiting to die or for Jesus to come back. And then you, you, you enter the pearly gates and your little mansion and all that kind of stuff. That's, there's no eternal holding pattern. That's not the Christian life. That's not the Bible. Read the Bible. You never see that. Living for Jesus is always forward momentum. Let me tell you what happens when you lose forward momentum. Maybe some of you have heard this story. Back in the day, it was probably, man, I don't know how many years ago it was, but it was a long time, 15 to 20 years ago. And I was out on a quad with a buddy of mine. We were each riding our quads. I had a monster quad at the time. It was a Bombardier DS650. The thing was a beast. It could go anywhere, climb anything. And it could handle a big guy like me, right? And so I was on that bad boy, and we're tearing up the desert out there responsibly. Um, and um, so we're going up, you know, mountains and hills, whatever, right? And so there's this, there's, this, there's this mountain, and there's this little trail on the side of this mountain. You got the mountain on one side, and you got the mountain going down the other side, but this little trail going up. And we look at that, and I can get aggressive sometimes. So I just look at my buddy and said, you follow me, you know? Kind of like, I'm going to take this. And so I take off up this mountain, and I'm just ripping up this mountain. I'm staying a little close to the high side because I don't want to go to whatever. But I get toward the top, and all of a sudden I realize there's a massive boulder sticking out. And there are tracks going around it to the right and tracks going to the left. Well, guess what that is? That's a motorcycle. That's not a quad because quads don't do that, right? And so I'm like, if I hit that boulder right now, I'm going to hit that thing and just pop up and flip back. There's no way. There's no way. So I slow down and I stop in front of the boulder to figure out what to do. Well, guess what happens when you stop going up a mountain like that? You don't stop. You start sliding backwards is what you do. When I lost my forward momentum, I started going backwards. I mean, I'm leaning into those brakes. I'm doing everything I can. And I start sliding down that mountain. And my, my speed is beginning to to pick up. And so what am I doing? I'm hugging the side of the mountain that's, you know, that like has land on it, not that's dropping off, right? Well, as I do that, my back tire hits the side of that mountain and I go over. And that DS650 lands on me. The handlebar lands on my leg and the handlebar snaps. I thought my leg was broken. It was a bad day. The point is, there are consequences to losing your forward momentum. You can't just kind of go up and then stop. No, you're going to either be going forward or you're going to be sliding backward. And it just, it's that way. If you all look at your lives in Christ Jesus, you know that's true. You know that's true. When you stop pressing into the Lord, you stop spending time with him, you stop being in his word, you stop listening for his voice, you start sliding backwards. You just do. And I know there are times when we are, we're, we got the pedal to the metal. I mean, we're, we're flooring it, and we feel like we're going nowhere. That happens to all of us, okay? That happens to all of us. But I'm talking about when you stop the forward momentum, and you stop listening. You stop spending time with the Lord. Not good. Not good. So how do we lose our forward momentum? Bad theology. That brings us to point number two. Beware of bad theology. It can trip you up. Go ahead and play this video. This uh, short video is a video of Daniel Jones. Yes, he's a Jones boy. Love that. But he had kind of a, a bad situation happen. He was a New York Giants quarterback. And um, with 8.51 to play, we got that video? Let her rip. Potato chip. No volume. Just turn the volume off the video. I'm going to be talking over it. 
So with eight, eight minutes, 51 seconds left in the third quarter, Jones took a designated play to go the length of the field. Everybody was blocking. Everything was perfect. But he hits a 30-yard line, and look what happens. He starts to trip up, and he lands on the Philadelphia 8-yard line short of the touchdown. So check this out. Why did I show that video? He's a good quarterback, by the way. He's a Jones boy, by the way. That's right. Um, I'm probably related to him somehow. And I'll just say that just because, you know, hey. Uh, but everything was working out perfectly just as it was drawn up. They made the hole, right? The, the, the line made that hole. He ran through just like he was supposed to do. All of his teammates, they were blocking just like they were supposed to do. There was nothing in between him and the end zone. Nothing to stop him except himself. And he tripped up and he fell short. And y'all, that's a picture of, of, of what it is for our lives right now. Again, Peter's like, you got all you need for life and godliness. The, the, it's wide open. All the, everything's been blocked. The enemy's been blocked. The, 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 it's, it's just you in the end zone. Run, go, run, and go. But we got to be careful that we don't get tripped up, that we don't trip ourselves up. All the obstacles have been removed, but we can't be careless. And Peter warns the church of bad theology and how it can creep into the church and into a believer's life and trip them up. And he says in chapter 2, verse 18, for they, speaking of false teachers, for they, these false teachers, these rascals, just want to punch in the face. But anyway, I was watching that football. It got me all excited. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, for these false teachers... For they mouth empty boastful words and by appealing, check this out, by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error, freshly saved, just walking in the truth. They entice them, right? And they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For, quote, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Verse 20 then says, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Peter's like, you got all you need for life and godliness, but you better be careful that you don't get tripped up. And one way you get tripped up is listening to the wrong voice that's telling you what you want to hear instead of the truth of what God is saying and speaking into and over your life. Bad theology. In this case, the bad theology was this kind of sentimental, soft, squishy view of God's grace. It's a false grace that, say, that says it doesn't matter what you do. You're saved now. You can live any way you want to. It's all okay. God's grace is cuddly, and it's just there to pick you up, and you just keep falling and don't worry about it. And it leads to corrupt conduct and licentiousness and immorality. This kind of thinking and processing God's grace and this kind of way of living and this kind of teaching, it stalls the forward momentum of faith. It causes a believer to look back and to actually forfeit the freedom that they have in Christ Jesus while they end up embracing the very old ways of the flesh. Y'all, teaching that tells you that the, the ways of the flesh and the old ways, ah, no big deal, don't worry about it. Not good. That's bad theology. That'll trip you up. That'll have you 
running and tripping up at the 30-yard line and falling short. That's what it'll do to your life. It's mixing the ways of the world with the ways of heaven, and they don't mix. They don't mix. Y'all, we are, we are, we're citizens of another kingdom now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not of this world. They don't mix. It's not like we get saved and now we, we just, we got the Jesus, you know, addition in our lives and all is good. No, we are new creations in Christ. We live differently. So here's how serious this can trip you up. Verse 21 says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Now check this out. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. And a sow that's washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Here's what I call this kind of, this kind of teaching. It's theological vomit. Beware. I wanted to call the whole sermon this. Beware of theological vomit. But I thought that might gross some of you out and maybe somebody won't watch it or something like that. But, but, but it's theological vomit. Theological vomit promotes get saved and stay the same. Don't worry about it. Just stay the same. That's theological vomit. Theological vomit says it's okay to dabble in the things of the world. In fact, when you dabble in the things of the world, it just makes you more relevant. That's theological vomit. You're returning to the vomit. You're returning to all the gross stuff. Bad theology. It'll trip you up. It'll take you back. It'll rob you of the freedom that you have in Christ. You won't see more of God living that way, but less of him. You know the, what the answer to heresy is? Maturity. And do you know what, what immature Christians are? They're vulnerable to false teaching. Do you know how you, how you be an immature Christian? You just stay away from this. You stay away from, from accountability. You stay away from, from doing life with other believers. You stay away from truth. You just kind of live your life. You just kind of go, I'm a believer. I'm part of the church. It's no big deal. I can just kind of get out there and do whatever, and God loves me, and his grace is for me, and, and he saved me, and, and yeah. You'll remain immature, a baby, and susceptible to theological vomit. Easy believism itching ears. Anyway, I'm going to say theological vomit one more time because I just am enjoying that. I don't know why. It's, it's kind of gross, but, um, but you're going to remember that. You're going to remember that, okay? And, you're gonna, and hopefully it'll, it'll spark something in you. And in my, my prayer is that it will, it'll, it'll make you go, look, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to get in the word of God. What does God's word really say? Point number three, final point, be ready for Christ's return. Amen? Be ready for his return. Big message from Peter. The world thinks it's clever to mock God. The world thinks it's, you know, that God is irrelevant. We just read that quote from Marx earlier, right? He mocks God. He says he's irrelevant. Peter says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Do we see any of that in our day? Oh, yeah. 
They will say, where is this coming that he's promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as, as it has since the beginning of creation. In other words, God's a liar. His son isn't coming back. Okay. Peter says, look, here's my answer to you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Now check out how Peter reveals the heart of God once again. He says, instead, God is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. But wanting everyone to come to repentance. Now I just want to stop at that for a moment. Because that's an important truth and understanding of God. God does not desire that anyone would perish. He does not create us for hell. God created us to know him and to walk with him and to be with him. He fearfully and wonderfully knit us together in our mother's womb. And it is God's heart that no one would be lost. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to make the way for all who would believe. All. God's provision for mankind by grace through faith. Let me get back to 2 Peter here, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. There's an apocalypse coming. It's going to get real, real fast. And that's a good thing. So rest assured, Peter says, Jesus is coming back, you scoffers and mockers. He's coming back. The day is coming and the promises of judgment and salvation will happen. So what does this mean? Peter warns and he says, so be ready. It's going to happen. It is happening. So be ready Living for God with forward momentum. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Remember what holiness is? It's being set apart. You ought to live lives that are set apart from this world. As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I could talk about that whole speed the coming and the return of Christ thing for a while, but I won't dive into that right now. That's a whole sermon. That day, meaning when Christ returns, will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, remember God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So what do we do? We need to be those who know it's coming, know he's coming, and are excited about that are moving toward that, are talking to others about that. We need to be those who are excited for Jesus to step back on this earth and to make all things new. I I'm ready for that. I would love for that to happen tomorrow. I don't believe it will based on what Scripture says, but it could happen very soon. His return is imminent. It's a done deal, promised for sure. You can take it to the bank, although I don't know what you want to take to banks anymore, but you know what I'm saying. So, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless 
blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Now I want to end with this, this understanding. Did you catch it? That there's going to be a new earth. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to, God's going to make it all new. Read Revelation, 20, Revelation 21. Behold, I make all things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be a return to Eden. You know, when God created the earth the first time, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't create it broken and with death and decay and all the junk that we experience. Now, he said it is good. It was perfect. He was able to step and walk on this earth with man. Because that's how he designed it to be, how he designed us to be with him. Sin messed it up. All the brokenness that you experience, all the heartache and headache and pain that, that, that smacks you in the face is from the brokenness of sin in this world. And God, because he's so good, is going to make it all new a new heaven, and a new earth. And we will live with him, not on the clouds, playing harps, singing songs all day long. We will live with him on a physical new earth in physical resurrected bodies, all things new, no more pain, no more suffering, none of that stuff. Everything perfect. He's gonna be there with us. We're gonna be walking with him in the cool of the day. This is what God has promised for those who are his. Peter starts this letter with, you have all you need for life and godliness right now in this messed up, torn up, broken, hurtful cesspool of a world, yet because of Christ, you have everything you need to live for God today, right now, and to be his people today. But also then he ends the letter with, but don't forget he's coming back. Don't forget he's coming back and all things will be made new. I want to say this world is freaked out about our climate and about the earth that we live on right now because it is messed up. And it's messed up because of sin. There was no death, nothing decayed, nothing until sin. Sin is what caused it. This world is all weirded out and doing insane things because this world thinks that this is the only earth that we will ever have. But that's not true. For God is giving us a new earth. And those of us who understand that, oh, we're going to be good stewards. We're not going to be foolish. We're not going to commit more sin in different ways. But we aren't going to worry. We're not going to worry. Because God's promises are yes and amen. And he's coming back. And there's a new heaven and a new earth that are coming. Let's stand up. I want to...